to, he wrote to them, or spoke to them through John, uh, the Apostle John. He, he said, I've been studying these churches, and I'm trying to figure out which one Freedom Fellowship's the most like. And he said, I've come to the conclusion we're a Philadelphia church. And I said, I come to that same conclusion. Because all the rest of them, Jesus had some really harsh things to say about them. But to this church, he had nothing but good things to say and rewards that go with them. So that's why I wanted to focus on this. And well, when I focused on this one, I saw that there are keys involved in this scripture, in this passage of scripture. And this I'm going to read verses seven and eight together. Then we'll go back and break it down. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write. It's important to write, the, write it down, write the vision down. These things says he who is holy. He who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, the first key I want us to look at is authority. Say authority. The first, the first part of verse 7, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, these things says he who is holy, he who is true. Now, many people believe, and I, and I, I tend to agree with them, that when he says to the angel, he was talking about the pastor or the elder of that church, an actual church, to the elder, to the pastor of that church, because the word angel actually means a messenger. So he says to the angel of the, the church in Philadelphia, write these things, write this down. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine when John got this, got this vision and he wrote these things down as inspired by the Holy Spirit? Can you imagine when these churches got these letters? Do you ever think about that? That they got these letters? They actually got these letters? There's a letter written to them? And they're going, whoa, we're the Laodiceans and that don't look so good. <laughs> but the church at Philadelphia are going, wow, thank you, Lord. That's what we've been at. That's what we've been looking for. That's what we've been we've been we've been faithfully going forward for is to be a faithful church that honors and represents Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you something this morning. You may not even think about this much, but he's written a letter to you. He's written a letter to you. He's written a letter to all of us. It's called the Bible, the word of God. It's a love letter. And it's written to us. You know, can you imagine living back in the day when not everybody had a Bible? When there were very, there were very sparse, or few and far between, and not everybody had that word. And, and, but today we have, the, we have it in like a million different translations and languages. We have the word that's a love letter that was written to us. And he says, I want you to write to this church. John, write this to this church, and this is what he said. I want you to tell him who I am. He said, I am the holy one. I am the one, the, the true one. And you go back and read to all the churches, the seven churches that he wrote to. Look at the adjectives of who Jesus said he was when he explained that to them. But see, if we don't understand the authority behind the word, we will never grasp that. We won't get a hold of that key. It's one thing to read the Word of God, but it's, it's another thing to understand the authority behind the Word of God. It says this in 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, that's you and me, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
You see, Jesus was reminding the church in Philadelphia, I'm the one that's holy. I'm the one that's true. I'm the one that's in authority. I am the one. He says, I am the I am. And once we get that, guys, this, listen, these, all these things are going to work together. You're going to see one at the end of this. But all these things work together. We first got to come to the understanding of who's in charge. We have to come to that place. Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them, his disciples, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. See, in our personal life, in our church life, we need to recognize God's authority through his son, Jesus Christ, if we are ever going to be the faith-filled church that he's called us to be. And listen, this submitting to God thing is not a one-time deal. It's not a one-day deal. It's an every-moment-of-the-day deal all day long, every day, seven days a week, 24-7, 365, and 366 on leap year. It's all the time submitting to God. It's all the time submitting to him and his authority. It's not when you feel like it. You know, some people, that's the way people do it. They do that all the time. Well, I feel like, I feel like obeying today, but tomorrow I'm not going to obey so much. And then they step out from under the authority of God. Listen, he corrects those he loves. Some days you decide to speed. Other days you decide not to. Especially when your wife is with you, you decide not to speed. Guys. Maybe. We need to know who holds the keys to our life. Listen to this. He has access. This key number two is access. The second part of verse 7, he, Jesus, who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Man, that's important. You have to understand that King David had the keys to the kingdom of that kingdom of Israel. You understand that? He was the king. A lot of people, well, you need to appoint your, next, your, your firstborn son to, to follow. No, he didn't have to do that. He was the king. He didn't have to go by the protocol that people, other people. Listen, he could allow people into the, into the, to the palace, and, but he could disallow others. He said, no, you can't come in. And he, he did that all through his life. He had this authority to give access or to withhold access. Some of you have keys that you hold on to, and you are not going to give up to somebody else. You don't want them to have access. You hold the keys. I hold the keys. Somebody comes up to me, and I don't know them. They say, can I have your car? And I'll say, uh, no, I don't know you. Or I could say, yes, here they are. I have the authority to give this key or not to give this key. Somebody wants to get in your house. How many of you are just going to a total stranger walks up to you, said, I'd like to, enter, I'd like to go to your house. I'd like to get into your house. I'm, there, I need a few things. And you say, well, uh, let me think about that. No. Let me pray about that. Uh-uh. Because you have the authority and you have the ability to give access or not. That's what he's saying here. Jesus has the authority and the access. He is the one that can say who's coming into the kingdom and who isn't coming into the kingdom. John 10, verse 1 through 5 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking. Listen to me. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the, by the door, the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is as the thief and robber. But, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep Hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus is not only the key keeper, he's the doorkeeper. He's not only the doorkeeper, he's the door. 
And he's the one that determines how you get in. And if you get in at all or if you don't get in, he's the one that says, I'll give you access or I don't give you access. And listen, if you try to come in some other way, you're a thief and a robber. Remember Matthew 7? Oh, Lord, Lord, I've done this and I've done that in your name. And and at the end of all their dissertation, he says, depart from me. I don't even know you. He He has the ability to give access or not. John 14, 6, he made it pretty clear, didn't he? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's talking about himself. I'm the access. See, if somebody tells you there are a lot of ways to heaven, you know what you need to tell them to do? You know, you know what you need to respond? I'll pray for you. Don't argue with them. You might even say, listen, you may believe that. I believe that there's only one way. I believe that the word of God is very clear on that, that Jesus Christ is the only way. I always, I always tell people that they really want to do that, they want to go to that place. You can get into heaven a lot of ways. I go, you know what? That's like an airline pilot deciding I'll land on that runway or that one. There's a lot of ways. To, there's, a lot of, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of landing strips here. I think I'll pick that one. <laughs> No, I, I like a, a pilot that listens to the, to the, control, the guy in the, the, the sky. What's he called? The controller? Uh, the tower guy? This is your 121. That's the landing strip you go in on. I want to be in that plane where the guy's listening to the voice. And he lands on the specific one. He didn't decide to land on I-30. But you see, a lot of people go, oh, there's just a lot of ways. No, and I believe that there's only one way. And Jesus made that very clear, and he made it very simple. And here's how we gain access into, the, into this place that Jesus prepared for us. He says, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's a gift. I mean, it just, it just keeps getting more amazing, doesn't it, with the, with the walk with Jesus? Uh, have you, let me ask you a question. And some of you may, you may not want to answer this, but maybe some of you will. How many of you have ever been given the keys to a car? They just, somebody gave you a car. Anybody in here? Oh, wow. Wow. You were just given a car. It was a gift. You didn't work for it. You didn't do anything. But guess what? If they gave you the car without the keys, guess what? They were just playing a big trick on you. So when when they gave you the car, they gave you the keys, right? And you had access. Because of somebody else's generosity, you had access to a vehicle that you didn't earn, that you didn't pay for. My family, we were kind of, we were not, we were kind of poor. So I had to work for every dime to get my car. And, and when I got the keys, you know, it, it was mine. I didn't give it, get it as a gift. My wife, on the other hand, her dad owned a car dealership. These little Malibu she's driving up in. Hey, how much are your payments a month? What? <laughs> how much your car costs? I don't know. My dad just gave it to me. It's the cutest little car. And they gave her a Camaro. And I was like, wow, I want to marry her. <laughs> And I did. <laughs> Traded in the Camaro for a Vega. That's how smart I was. Some of you are going, what's a Vega? You don't want to know. <laughs> but it was brand new and it had a racing strap. Four cylinders. Oh, posi track rear end. You'd pull up to a gas station and say, fill it up with oil and give me a little bit of gas. <laughs> oh, it burned the oil. But she was given something that she didn't earn. Because her daddy loved her. Hmm, y'all get in the picture? Gave her the keys. She had access. But the third key is a responsibility. 
Jesus said, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. Sometimes we forget about. We forget about the all seeing God. Don't we? We kind of get busy, kind of be doing our own thing, getting our flesh. And we forget that he sees everything about us. He says, I know not only does he see our works, he knows our works. He knows our heart in the midst of our works. He says, I know your works. See, I have said, he said, I have set it before you an open door. And no one can shut it. See, when, when you have a gift given to you and a key that's given you access to something, then with that comes responsibility. It really does. In Matthew 28, to, figure, to finish it out from what I earlier said, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. He said, listen, I've given you access, guys. I've given you the Holy Spirit. I've filled you with the Spirit of God. Now you've got to go. You've got to go and you've got to do. You've got to do the greater works. You've got to do the things that I commanded you. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't a suggestion. He says, I've given you responsibility. So when you get the keys to a car and somebody's given you, there comes responsibility with that. You've got to get the oil changed once in a great while. You've got to get to make sure the title of the registration. You've got to make sure you've got the license tags. You've got to make sure of all of that, that it's done. And then you've got to maintain it. You've got to get it washed once in a while. In other words, we have responsibility with that gift. And God's given us a gift. He said, here's your salvation. You don't work to earn it, but you work when you get it. And you do the good works that I've already laid out beforehand for you to do. If you want to argue with that, about being uh, living a life of works, then argue with the word of God. Because we are supposed to be people of works, good works, good deeds. That's, that's supposed to be one of, that's one, of, one of the things that defines us. He says, I know your works. I know your works. He said, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. Listen, the, the, when he talks about an open door, he's usually the Bible, when he talks about an open door, it's talking about evangelism. It's when he opens the door. Listen, I believe that there's an open door right now in this community for evangelism. And listen, I know we've baptized a lot of people. We're going to baptize in the second service. But I know we've been baptizing a lot of people. A lot of people have been getting saved. But we have barely scratched the surface. There are thousands of people this morning in the city of San Angelo that do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And guess whose responsibility that is? Oh, that must be the Baptist church's responsibility. Oh, that's the Presbyterian church's responsibility. Oh, that's a method. No, it's the church's responsibility. And we're part of that church. You've got a responsibility. I have a responsibility to live a life that pleases God. I have a responsibility to speak words of life to people. We all have that responsibility. I love this. uh, This. This came up in one of Charles Spurgeon's messages one time. This man came to him. He said, Mr. Spurgeon, he said, how, how, do, how do I start? How do I win others to Jesus Christ? If you say the doors open and Mr. Mr. Spurgeon said, what are you? What do you do? And the man said, I'm an engine driver on a train. Then Spurgeon said, is the man who shovels coal on your train a Christian? The man replied, I don't know. Then Spurgeon said, well, go back and lead him to Christ. Start with him. 
Oh, well, let's have a mass revival in the city. A mass revival starts with you and me. One to one to one to one. The door is open. No one can shut it. The church in Philadelphia knew that. They were reaching out, winning the lost, and they were going to win more if you read the rest of the passage. You know, many times we pray for God to open doors and to shut doors. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You pray for him to open doors and for major decisions in your life. You'll say, Lord, I'm looking for a job or looking for a wife or I'm looking for a husband or whatever it is. Whatever you, you have a major decision to make. And so, yes, Lord, open this door or shut the door. Lord, only I don't want to go through the door unless you open it. I, and I don't want to bang my head against the door that you shut. But you see, when you begin to pray that way, then you have a responsibility. If the door does open, you've got to walk through it. Some of you missed the window, the door. <laughs> but if he's still got that door open, then you need to, by faith, walk through the door. That's our responsibility. That's the key of responsibility. Well, let me, see, let me show you how that works, how, much, how, this, how this will help you walk through that door. Okay? The fourth key is trust. Now, this is a strange statement that, the, that God gives John to write. He says, for you have a little strength. Well, if, you, if you've ever studied the Word and you go back and study that passage, you'll understand it doesn't mean exactly what you think it means. For you have a little strength, but yet it does mean what it says. That totally confuse you? Okay, let me explain this. The term little strength does not imply weakness, but real strength. They were weak enough to be strong in the Lord. They were weak enough to be strong in the Lord. Here's the deal. We can be too strong, can't we? We can be too smart. We can be, uh, we can be too good in our own eyes to be any use or be useful in the kingdom of God. Because if we think that we're this and we're that and we're all that in a bag of chips, whoever made that up, I don't know, but it sounds good. But if we think we're that, then we will not walk in the strength of God. We'll walk in our own strength. And they recognize this at Philadelphia. Listen, we've got a little strength, but boy, we need your strength. We need your strength. Well, listen, we are in the same boat. We need his strength today. When you read Matthew 5, 3, I used to look at that verse and go, this just doesn't make sense. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And that word blessed there actually means happy. Hey, I'm so happy I'm poor in spirit. I mean, it just didn't make sense. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But that was not a negative saying, or he wouldn't say happy. He wouldn't say blessed are you for, you that, for you that are poor in spirit. He wouldn't have said that. But listen to how the message puts it, and this makes it very clear. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Sometimes it takes us, I'm sorry to say this, sometimes it takes us getting to the end of our rope, our rope, our plans, our flesh, you're, you're hearing what I'm saying? Sometimes it takes that to get us to that place where we finally go, oh, I, I guess I need to rely on God. And God says, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you know, a lot of people go, well, if, if there's a last resort, pray. Really? Shouldn't that be the first resort? Shouldn't that be the first resort? So what he's saying here is, Trust God. Quit trusting in yourself. Quit trusting in horses and chariots. Trust God. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do what? Lean not, lean not, say lean not. On your what? Own understanding. Listen. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And then he will direct your paths. How long is it going to take us to get that? It's a tough one sometimes, isn't it? We find ourselves trusting in ourselves, trusting in our job, trusting in our bank account, trusting in other people. And guess what? All those things will, will let you down. Some form or fashion, they'll let you down. Trust your friends, you know. Oh, my friend, I, I thought they were really my friends. Really? Well, listen, your best friend is Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was a great example of the, the dynamic of weakness and strength, wasn't he? Got a thorn in my flesh. Satan is a messenger from Satan. He's kind of, he said to buffet me. <laughs> buffet me. I always the buffet. What does buffet mean? Buffet me. In other words, a lot of people don't know what that is, but something was bad happening to him. Let's just say that. And God said, listen, and, and Paul, Peter prayed, or Paul prayed three times, remove it, remove it, remove it. Come on, God, get it. I, wanna, I don't want to have this. Anybody ever been there before? And, and, and God said, listen, my, my grace is sufficient for you. And then Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. There's another one of those tough ones to figure out. But he's saying the same thing here. We've got some strength, but our strength, our main strength should be him. Because when I'm weak, he is strong. He shows himself strong. So we need to come to that place. If we're going to live out and keep the responsibilities that have been given to us by God, then we're going to have to trust him to get us through those things. The fifth key is freedom. Say freedom. Freedom. (laughs) Oh, Mike. Say freedom again. Freedom. 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 Yeah, that's good. Are you reading your Bible on your phone? Okay, just checking. He said, you have a little strength, and you have kept my word. I'm using the car analogy. I could be using other things, but the car seemed to fit. You know when you first got your car and you got your driver's license? Anybody remember that day? There were cars invented then, right? Something. Yeah, I used to crank it in the front. When you got your first car. David, do you remember your first car? Where'd you get it from? From me. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Wasn't it a Buick? You don't look like a Buick guy. It's a two-door. When you were a teenager, how many of you remember your first car? What did you remember about it? It gave you a sense of what? Freedom. <laughs> Get up. Yeah. Let's go lock the paper here. Yeah. Freedom. Getting your first car. I couldn't. Listen, it, even, it wasn't even freedom for me. There was freedom before my first car when my neighbor got a car. When our best friend got this old 52 black Chevy four-door, the ugliest car I think I'd ever seen, guess what we thought about it? Woo! We can go through your car. Yes, 20 cents a gallon. Chip in, man. We got to buy some gas for this thing. But, man, it just represented freedom for us. We could go and do, and our parents had no idea where we were. They had no GPS things back then. They couldn't call us on a cell phone, find out where we were. We were free. Thank God I'm free. 
Well, that's what the Word of God should do for you. You get this key of freedom when you get the Word of God in your hand. You begin to read the Word. You begin to study the Word. And you say, God, you have set me free from so much. There are more things to come. But, Lord, I thank you for giving me freedom. In John 8, he says this. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The word of God is the truth. Jesus Christ is the word. So if you got Jesus, if you got the word, listen, you're free. But if you don't read his word, if you don't study his word, if you don't inhale his word, if you don't eat his word, listen, you're missing out on a lot of freedom. You're just missing out on freedom. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. If you want to stay in bondage, then stay out of the word. If y'all say that one again. If you want to stay in bondage, then stay out of the word. Because if the word represents freedom, if you know the truth and it sets you free, but you want to stay in your addiction, just stay out of the word of God. But if you want to be free from that addiction or whatever that else that is, that's keeping you from being everything you're supposed to be in Christ, if you want to be free, then get into the word of God and let the word of God get into you. Let the word get into you. The sixth key, wow, is ownership. And you have not denied my name. Think about that. You're doing what I've called you to do. I've given you access. You've not denied my name. That's what we talked about. I'm not going to focus on that a lot because that was a sermon last week about the name and how we have his DNA how we are his bride, how we are his sons. And we have his name stamped on us and in us and through us. That word deny means to forsake or renounce his name. First Corinthians six nineteen says this, you're not your own for you are bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see how these work together? Listen to me. When we receive Christ, we give him the key to our heart and we submit to his authority. In turn, he gives us access into his kingdom. But with access, we now have responsibility. And for us to fulfill that responsibility, we have to trust him. And when we trust him, we trust his word and his word takes us to a new level of freedom. And through this entire process, we come to this place of totally giving up us, relinquishing our will and giving, uh, giving to God our will. We, we relinquish our way and give our way to him and let him make his plans for our life. Let him direct our steps. And just like I said, when we understand, when we, find, when we ever come to the realization of what the blood does, when we come to the realization of these things, of who God really is and what he wants to do in our life, listen, the Christian life is, listen, it should not be a struggle. I, I hear it all the time. I know we have tribulations. I know we have trials. I know we go through things. But our walk with the Lord, it should not be a struggle. If we really know who he is and what he's done for us and what he's doing for us and what he's going to do for us. Men, we can die, Paul said, and that's a good thing because we go to be with him. He says, I don't care if I live or die. He said, I'm going to do the will of God. 
And if we understand, see, Paul had a, he had a grasp on, on who Jesus was. He had a grasp of who the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were. He said, I'm not afraid to, I'm not afraid to sit in this prison. I'm not afraid if they cut my head up. I'm not afraid. This church was called the Church of Brotherly Love. And they were commended for the very things that I shared with you this morning. You see, the measure of the success of a church today is not like this. It's how many people do you have coming? How many people on your, in your membership? How big is your building? How nice is your building? How many vans do you have? How many buses do you have? How many services do you have? How many lights do you have? How big a band do you have? What kind of social media do you have? You know, that's, that's how we judge churches today if they're successful or not. Are you a mega church or not? And God says none of those things here. He said, are you faithful? Are you faithful? Are you sharing my word? Are you trusting me? Are you allowing me to have rain in your life? Are you in my word? Are you, are, you, are you meditating on my word? Are you communing with me? Are you dining with me? You see, at the church, and the, the next church was the church at Laodicea, was the lukewarm church. And he said this, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. You see, if you're lukewarm this morning, there's an answer for your lukewarmness, how you, how you move past it and you, you, you repent. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Have you all seen the picture of Jesus standing at the door? There's not a doorknob on his side. And if there was a key on the other side, they had to unlock it and open the door. He's giving you that key to open the door to your heart so he can come in. Would you stand this morning? Can I have the ministry team to the front? The invitation is pretty simple this morning. If you're part of the lukewarmness, you haven't been trusting God, even though he's, you haven't really been living out your responsibility of serving him the way you're supposed to, you haven't been faithful, repent. Just repent. Repentance is change the way you think about it. Ask God to forgive you. Ask God to restore that zeal in your heart for him. Bring you back to your first love. But maybe you're here this morning, you've never given your life to God. You've never opened that door and said, come in. You haven't given him access to you. But today, you've heard his voice. You've heard the authoritative voice of God say, listen, I've got you if you want me. I'll take you in if you'll, if you'll just let me. My sins, your sins can be white as snow if you'll let my blood run down on your sins. But you have to make that decision. You have to make that decision. You have to open that door for him. So, Father, this morning, if there's just one or if there's a 10 or 15 or 20, however many, Lord, that need to come this morning and lay these things down that have been hindering them from serving you or come to that place of salvation in your name, whatever that decision is, Lord, I pray that your people would respond to that, respond to your spirit, respond to your word today, that they might be free. And whom the Son makes free is free indeed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now step out and come. We have people that will pray with you this morning. Just step out and come. Don't wait. If you need Jesus Christ, listen. He'll tell you real 
simply how to come to the kingdom. He holds the keys to the kingdom. He wants you in his kingdom. You know what the word kingdom means? It means a king's domain. He has a kingdom. It's not of this world. But if you want to be a part of that kingdom, by, by the Spirit, you have to, by faith, you have to trust him that he wants you, that he saved you, he died for you. So step out and come. If you need prayer for anything this morning.